Chapter Twenty Four of England, Canada, and the Great War. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. England, Canada, and the Great War by Louis Georges Desjardins. Chapter Twenty Four, Imperial Federation and Bourassism. The leader of our nationalists, always frightened, apparently at least, with the supposed dangers of further imperialist encroachments detrimental to the best interests of the British autonomous colonies seems alarmed at the prospects to follow the close of the hostilities. Consequently, it has been a part of his campaign to bring the French Canadians to share his fears for their future. Not in the least worried by such apprehensions, it was also my duty to try and persuade my French Canadian compatriots not to be unduly disturbed by the sayings of a publicist magnifying the errors of his excited imagination. That there will be after-the-war problems to consider is most likely. What will they be? It is very difficult to foresee just now with sufficient definiteness. So much will depend upon the general conditions of the restoration of peace. However, broad lines have, for the last four years, been outlined with fair clearness, permitting a general view of what is likely to happen. Let us for a moment examine the traces of the initial phases of the constitutional developments likely to be the outcome of the joint effort of the whole empire to win the war. The second chapter of the report of the War Cabinet for the year 1917, already quoted somewhat extensively, deals with the new aspect of imperial affairs, more especially the consequence of the war. The opening paragraph partly reads as follows. The outstanding event of the year in the sphere of imperial affairs has been the inauguration of the Imperial War Cabinet. This has been the direct outcome of the manner in which all parts of the Empire had thrown themselves into the war during the preceding years. Impalpable as was the bond which bound this great group of peoples together, there was never any doubt about their loyalty to the Commonwealth to which they belonged, and to the cause to which it was committed by the declaration of war. Without counting the cost to themselves, they offered their men and their treasure in defence of freedom and public right. From the largest and most prosperous dominion to the smallest island, the individual and national effort has been one of continuous and unreserved generosity. After mentioning that during 1917, quote, great progress has been made in the organization, both of the manpower and other resources of the empire, for the prosecution of the war, end quote, and that, quote, the British army is now a truly imperial army, containing units from almost every part of the empire, end quote, the report says, the real development, however, of 1917 has been in the political sphere, and it has been the result of the intense activity of all parts of the empire in prosecuting the war since August 1914. It had been felt for some time that, in view of the ever-increasing part played by the dominions in the war, it was necessary that their governments should not only be informed as fully as was possible of the situation, but that as far as was practicable they should participate, on a basis of complete equality, in the deliberations which determined the main outlines of imperial policy. Accordingly, a special war conference was convened to meet in London, where for practical convenience it was divided into two parts. One, quote, known as the Imperial War Cabinet, which consisted of the overseas representatives and the members of the British War Cabinet sitting together as an Imperial War Cabinet, for deliberation about the conduct of the war and for the discussion of the larger issues of imperial policy connected with the war, end quote. The other, quote, was the Imperial War Conference, presided over by the Secretary of State for the Colonies, which consisted of the overseas representatives and a number of other ministers, which discussed non-war problems connected with the war, but of lesser importance, end quote. 
on the seventeenth may nineteen seventeen the british prime minister giving quote, to the house of commons a short appreciation of the work of the imperial war cabinet end quote, said in part i ought to add that the institution in its present form is extremely elastic it grew not by design but out of the necessities of the war the essence of it is that the responsible heads of the governments of the empire with those ministers who are specially entrusted with the conduct of imperial policy should meet together at regular intervals to confer about foreign policy and matters connected therewith and come to decisions in regard to them which subject to the control of their own parliaments they will then generally execute by this means they will be able to obtain full information about all aspects of imperial affairs and to determine by consultation together the policy of the empire in its most vital aspects without infringing in any degree the autonomy which its parts at present enjoy to what constitutional developments this may lead we did not attempt to settle the whole question of perfecting the mechanism of quote, continuous consultation end quote, about imperial and foreign affairs between the quote, autonomous nations of an imperial commonwealth end quote, will be reserved for the consideration of that special conference which will be summoned as soon as possible after the war to readjust the constitutional relations of the empire we felt however that the experiment of consulting an imperial cabinet in which india was represented had been so fruitful in better understanding and in unity of purpose and action that it ought to be perpetuated and we believe that this proposal will commend itself to the judgment of all the nations of the empire the preceding are words of political wisdom worthy of the best form of british statesmanship were they the dawn of a new era dissipating the clouds accumulated by the trials of a long period of military conflict and showing in a future more or less distant the rising constitutional fabric of a still greater imperial commonwealth not so much in size than in unity in freedom and strength time will tell but can we not at once note with confidence that the fundamental principle upheld by all the leading british public men is that whatever constitutional developments may be in store for us all they will not be allowed to infringe quote, in any degree the autonomy end quote, presently enjoyed by the oversea dominions the imperial war conference held in london last year passed the following very important resolution dealing with the future constitutional organization of the empire quote, the imperial war conference are of opinion that the readjustment of the constitutional relations of the component parts of the empire is too important and intricate a subject to be dealt with during the war and that it should form the subject of a special imperial conference to be summoned as soon as possible after the cessation of hostilities they deem it their duty however to place on record their view that any such readjustment while thoroughly preserving all existing powers of self-government and complete control of domestic affairs should be based on a full recognition of the dominions as autonomous nations of an imperial commonwealth and of india as an important portion of the same should recognize the right of the dominions and india to an adequate voice in foreign policy and in foreign relations and should provide effective arrangements for continuous consultation in all important matters of common imperial concern and for such necessary concerted action founded on consultation as the several governments may determine we can await without the slightest alarm the holding of the proposed quote, special imperial conference to be summoned as soon as possible after the cessation of the hostilities end quote. the fundamental principles upon which quote, unquote, the readjustment if any one is made quote, of the constitutional relations of the component parts of the empire end quote, are to rest are well defined in the above resolution 
through preservation of quote, all existing powers of self-government and complete control of domestic affairs full recognition of the dominions as autonomous nations of an imperial commonwealth and of india as an important portion of the same end quote. the admission of quote, the right of the dominions and india to an adequate voice in foreign policy and in foreign relations end quote. upon that large and strong basis i for one am ready to wait with patience and confidence the result of the deliberations of the future special imperial conference with regard to the proposed conference i cannot see any reason for any one to indulge in the nationalist hysterical fears of an oppressive imperialism devouring as the old mythological god saturn his own children as i have said the work of the special imperial conference will be rendered more or less easy by the conditions of the future peace i pray with all the fervour of my soul that the war shall not end by a hasty compromise as wished for by our blind if not really disloyal pacifists by which the world would be doomed to another disaster far worse than the one it is straining every nerve to overcome and after years of the most costly warlike preparations such a peace would be the saddest possible conclusion of the present conflict and much worse than the sacrifices yet to be borne by the prosecution of the war to a finish we must all implore providence to save humanity from such a cataclysm a special imperial conference meeting under such disheartening circumstances would indeed have a most difficult task to accomplish it was evidently an act of wisdom on the part of the imperial war conference of last year to express the opinion that the special imperial conference should be summoned only after the cessation of hostilities when peace shall have been restored with the only conditions which can be satisfactory to the allies and to the world at large a special imperial conference will be in order having for its object to consider the readjustment of the constitutional relations of the component parts of the empire in conformity with the requirements of the new situation which will have grown out of the necessities of the war however important the task the tranquillity of the world being let us hope assured for many long years there will be no reason for the conference to proceed hastily to any insufficiently matured conclusion the representative public men who will meet in london from all over the empire will not forget, we may rest confident, that the safest way to a good working readjustment will be, as it has always been in the past, that which will follow the straight line of natural growth. Dry-cut resolutions, imprudently adopted, and pressed upon unwilling populations, would have ninety-nine chances out of a hundred to be more injurious than profitable. Every sensible man must acknowledge that the war has in an extraordinary manner hastened the rapidity of the advance towards the turning-point in the constitutional organization of the british empire the day is near at hand when the problem will have to be faced with courage and broadness of mind very blind indeed and far behind the times is he who does not realize that to be or not to be for the empire is confined to two clear words consolidation or dissolution the tide is either to ebb or flow the wave to advance or recede the edifice must be strengthened or left to decay like any living being a political society be it great or small after its birth more or less laborious grows to a prosperous and healthy old age or crumbles down prematurely very much depends for either course on the wisdom or extravagance of the way of passing through life unmeasured ambitions wild expectations are too often alike for the individual and the nation the surest road to a lamentable ruin wisdom the outcome of sound moral principles and wide experience is on the other hand the safest guarantee of longevity of bright old days full of contentment honour prestige and true grandeur 
grave will be the responsibility of those who will meet in solemn conclave to lay down the foundations of the future british imperial commonwealth no less serious will be the responsibility of the populations scattered over the five continents who will be called upon to pronounce freely and finally upon the propositions which will be submitted to their approval or disavowal consequently undue haste would be more than ill-advised for instance the paramount question to be considered by the new imperial conference will most likely be that of the future military organization of the empire is it not evident that this problem will be much more easily settled if the allied nations succeed in carrying the point they have the most at heart the reduction of permanent armaments as the safest protection against any new outburst of savage militarism flooding the earth of god with human blood if this sine qua non condition is the top article of the future peace treaty the great powers having agreed in honour bound to maintain the world's tranquillity and order will all be afforded the blessings of a long rest from the ruinous military expenditures too long imposed upon them by the mad run of germany to conquer universal domination the british empire as a whole will as much as any other nation enjoy the full benefits of such a favourable situation she will like her allies return to the pursuits of peace with millions of veteran soldiers who for the next ten years at least would in large numbers certainly join the colours once more if need be to defend their country in a new just war then under such circumstances why should the peoples of the whole empire be immediately called upon to incur more expenses for military purposes than absolutely necessary for the maintenance of interior order and to meet any sudden and unforeseen emergency the liquidation of the obligations necessarily accumulated during the war will be the first duty of all the allied nations the task will no doubt be very large most onerous still i trust that it will not be beyond their resources of natural wealth of capital and labour of courageous savings as the resolution adopted by the imperial war conference says quote, the readjustment of the constitutional relations of the component parts of the empire is too important and intricate a subject to be dealt with during the war end quote. when taken up after the war even if just as soon as possible it will be none the less important and intricate such a subject should not be dealt with without matured consideration and given a hasty solution if the peace treaty satisfactorily settles the world's situation for a long future of general tranquillity which will certainly bless all the nations with many years of unprecedented prosperity plenty of time will be afforded to deliberate wisely upon the paramount question of the building of a quote, new and greater imperial commonwealth end quote. our frenzied nationalists can quiet their nerves the imperialist wild bear will not be growling at the door because we are all likely to be called upon to consider how best to promote the unity and the future prosperity of the empire we will have no reason to fear that we shall be from one day to the other forcibly thrown into perilous adventures by the machiavellic machinations of out-and-out -out imperialist enthusiasts i have already said that it is becoming more and more evident that to be or not to be the british empire must either consolidate or dissolve i must not be understood to mean that with the restoration of peace under the happy conditions all the allies are fighting for the empire as she will emerge from the tornado could not as a whole resume for more or less time her prosperous existence of anti-war days what will be best to do it is too early to foresee then it is better to wait for the issue of the war trusting that all the truly loyal british subjects will then join together to pronounce upon whatever questions of imperial concern will claim their urgent consideration but there is a certainty that can be at once positively affirmed all the peoples living and developing under the aegis of the british flag 
are determined that the British Empire is to be. Whenever a special imperial conference sits in London, all the representatives of the many component parts of the British Commonwealth will meet in the great capital surely to deliberate over the most practical means to consolidate the empire. We may all depend that no one will propose to destroy it. How best to consolidate the empire, such will be the important question. To be sure, the future special conference will not likely be wanting in propositions from many outside would-be constitutional framers. Schemes may be numerous, some worth considering, others useless if not mischievous no reason to feel uneasy and to worry about them. We can confidently hope that British statesmanship will be equal to the new task it will be called upon to perform. Our Canadian public men will have much to gain by closer intercourse with their imperial colleagues, and by judging great questions from a higher standpoint. Let there be no mistake about it. The true secret of the most effective consolidation of the Empire was discovered by the British statesmen the day when they realized that henceforth free institutions and the largest possible measure of colonial autonomy were the only sure means to solidify the structure of the British Commonwealth. Such is the opinion of the Imperial War Conference, outlining in their previously quoted resolution what must be the fundamental basis of any future, quote, readjustment of the constitutional relations of the component parts of the Empire, end quote. Title. Constitutional Development of India. As a preliminary to the prospective readjustment of the political status of the empire, it is worth noting the advance of India towards political autonomy. It was made manifest by the significant step of inviting India to the deliberations of the Imperial War Cabinet, and by the resolution adopted by the Imperial War Conference, that India must be fully represented at all future Imperial Conferences. Respecting India, the report of the War Cabinet for the year 1917 says, it was clear, however, that this recognition of the new status of India in the Empire would necessarily be followed by substantial progress towards internal self-government. Accordingly, on August 20th, the following important declaration of His Majesty's Government on this subject was made in the House of Commons by the Secretary of State for India. Quote, the policy of His Majesty's Government, with which the Government of India are in complete accord, is that of the increasing association of Indians in every branch of the administration and the gradual development of self-governing institutions, with a view to the progressive realization of responsible government in India as an integral part of the British Empire. They have decided that substantial steps in this direction should be taken as soon as possible, and that it is of the highest importance, as a preliminary to considering what these steps should be, that there should be a free and informal exchange of opinion between those in authority at home and in India. His Majesty's Government have accordingly decided, with His Majesty's approval, that I should accept the Viceroy's invitation to proceed to India to discuss these matters with the Viceroy and the Government of India, to discover with the Viceroy the views of local governments, and to receive with him the suggestions of representative bodies and others. I would add that progress in this policy can only be achieved by successive stages. The British Government and the Government of India on whom the responsibility lies for the welfare and advancement of the Indian peoples, must be the judges of the time and measure of each advance, and they must be guided by the cooperation received from those upon whom new opportunities of service will thus be conferred, and by the extent to which it is found that confidence can be reposed in their sense of responsibility. Ample opportunity will be afforded for public discussion of the proposals, which will be submitted in due course to Parliament." In accordance with this declaration, the Secretary of State left for India in October, 
and has since been in consultation with the government of india and deputations representative of all interests and parties in india in regard to the advances which should be made in indian constitutional development in the immediate future no reports as to the results of these discussions had been made public by the end of the year another important decision relating to india was that whereby the government abandoned the rule which confines the granting of commissions in the indian army to officers of british extraction a number of indian officers who have served with distinction in the war have already received commissions who only twenty years ago would have believed that the day was so near at hand when this asiatic vast and populous country called india would be most earnestly considering through numerous representatives in consultation with the british government the proper steps to be taken quote, for the gradual development of self-governing institutions with a view to the progressive realization of responsible government in india as an integral part of the british empire in every way it is a most extraordinary political evolution if it reaches the admirable conclusion aimed at for which success every true friend of political liberty will fervently pray it will have realized one of the greatest constitutional achievements of modern times behold just now how safely and wisely this indian evolution is proceeding under the experienced direction of british statesmanship it is quote, to be achieved by successive stages end quote, declares the secretary of state for india speaking in the name of the whole british responsible cabinet such have been accomplished all the constitutional developments which have wrought so much perfection for british free institutions true progress in every form is never revolutionary and why for the very reason that instead of fighting for destruction by brute force it aims at perfecting by regular advances in the right direction by successive improvements which experience justifies which reason intelligence and wisdom approve which political sense recommends which sound moral principles authorize and sanction a country favored with the free british constitutional regime is not the land where bolshevikism of any grade or stamp can flourish and bear fruits of desolation and shame the wonderful indian country for so many centuries tortured by intestine troubles at last rescued by england from that barbarous situation given a reorganized administration able to maintain interior peace favored by british business experience and capital with material progress in many ways specially in transportation facilities may soon see let us hope the dawn of the glorious days of a large measure of political freedom and responsible government far away indeed from the perilous imperialism abhorred by our much depressed nationalists is india safely moving End of chapter twenty four